Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 171 of the Box Hard Podcast. I am your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the infamous, the elusive, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. There's a lot to go over. Let's start with the review part of the show. You know how it is. It's the same every time. We're going to start on Friday. This was last Friday at the MSG Theatre in New York, USA. We're going to start with the undercard here. There was a few bits to go over on the undercard. Let's talk about Amanda Serrano, 35-1 and with one draw. Um, she fought for the vacant WBO World Female Super Flyweight title. She took on Eva Voraberger, who had a record of 24-5. and Now, the puzzling thing about this fight, I mean, it wasn't televised over here on Sky Sports. I don't know if they showed it on DAZN, but, you know, I think they should have probably shown it on Sky because there was a few gaps to fill in which they could have just shown the fight. The fight only lasted about 34 seconds of the first round. Amanda Serrano um, has, has now won her seventh world title in seven different weight classes. So, so, so she's a seven weight world champion. That is absolutely unbelievable. How monumental is that? And what a great ambassador for women's boxing. But such a shame that they didn't show her fight. I mean, there was a first round knockout that we're going to discuss in a moment. And they really, really had enough time to just show us the 34 seconds of the fight. But I'm not quite sure what happened there. Um, all the very best to her, by the way. Like I said on last week's show, a lady that really dedicates her life to boxing. Never had a boyfriend never had a mobile phone um, and just simply loves to train and fight. I think she's involved in MMA, um, all sorts of different martial arts and stuff like that. So all the very best to her. What a, what a real living legend she is. Uh, moving up the card once again, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Linares. Oh boy, oh boy. It went all wrong for him. His record going in, it was 45 and four. It was a big fight. It was his 50th fight. Um, obviously, he moved up to 140, and he took on Pablo Cizacano, 31-7 and with one draw. Linares saw himself on the deck three times before being stopped in that very first round. Unbelievable. It was for the WBC International Silver Super Lightweight title. Um... It was over before you knew it, really. Carno was just too big and strong for Linares. I think we've already seen the biggest upset of 2019 right there. Three knockdowns, and the first one came just 16 seconds into the fight. I mean, what the hell? After the third knockdown, Linares was completely, completely done. Um, it was just completely shocking. It was pure shocking. Um, should... Should Linares retire, Ayaz? I mean, it's so weird. He mixed it with the best in the business in Lomachenko just eight months ago. It was competitive, that fight there. And, you know, he, he was able to drop Lomachenko. And then he went on to stop Abner Cotto in three rounds back in September. And here we go. He, he gets in the ring here and he seems to just be shot overnight out of nowhere. It was very, very bizarre. And like I say, one of the biggest upsets, surely, we're going to see for the rest of 2019. I mean, yeah, like I said, I mean, it was a big shot for Jorge Linares. But, I mean, let's see what he does. I mean, uh, obviously, he's a three-way world champion. Personally, if I was him, I think he should retire. 
Okay, lots and lots of choices for him to make. I think he said he's possibly going to move back down. I think he, well, he needs to do that, to be honest, if he should carry on with his career. Moving up the undercard once again, TJ Doheny, the new signing of Matram. He made his first um, Matram well, his first defence of his world title, but also his Matram debut here. Uh, going into the bout with a record of 20-0, and 0, he put his IBF World Super Bantamweight title on the line against Ryohi Takahashi, who had a record of 16-3 and 3 with one draw. Now, it's the first time I've actually watched Doheny. Um, there was a bad head clash that cut both men in the second round. That was a bit of a shame. Doheny obviously showed us he is an aggressive counter-puncher. He can move very, very well around the ring. He's got quick hands, he's patient, and he seems to be quite heavy-handed also, not to mention he's a southpaw. I mean, I think he can certainly do big things in that division. I think Eddie Hearn said that the next move would be for Doheny to have a unification showdown with Daniel Roman. Um, I think they may even have a date penciled in for that one already, but in my selfish opinion, I would have liked to see him take on Gavin McDonald just to let Gavin McDonald have one more crack at a world title first. Um, you know, but yeah, we shall see what happens there. Um, a knockdown in the third round came for Doheny. It was three left hooks in a row that put his man down. Um, it was a little bit kind of reminiscent of, well, well, it was a little bit reminiscent of Josh Kelly, but don't jump down my, <laughs> don't jump down my throat on that one. Um, it, it was it was slightly different, and of course the opponent was a lot better than the guy that Josh Kelly did that too. Um, but yeah, to give the Japanese opponent some credit, he did come on strong during the later rounds, and Doheny noticeably slowed down and seemed to lose his control of the fight a little bit. Um, you know, it seemed to kind of take the shine off of his performance just slightly, and the stoppage was kind of weird as well from the referee. He seemed to kind of stop it way too prematurely, but Doheny would have won wide on the cards anyway, so uh, I don't think there was too much argument from the Japanese corner there. Um, 21-0 now, Doheny, a good fighter in the super bantamweight division. Moving up once again to the main event now, we saw Demetrius Andre, 26-0, take on Artur Akovov, 19-2. It was a TKO in the 12th and final round. Talking about premature stoppages, this was incredible. It was for the WBO world middleweight title, the first defense Therefore, Andrade. Um, it wasn't too much to say, really. I mean, it was a laboured performance from Andrade. He looked flat in there. He does have this willingness to carry his opponent, and I do believe he's an elite fighter. I think he'll need to fight perhaps a Saunders, a Golovkin, a Canelo, a Charlo, or even a Danny Jacobs to really see the best of him. I think his downfall is he can be a bit boring to watch at some at some points. I mean. You know, boxing is all about not taking shots, and it's it's smart being a safety-first fighter, and for that reason, I don't want to go too hard on him. He's an exceptional talent, and maybe he just seems to fight down to his opponent's level at times. But, um, yeah, those names that I've mentioned there, I, I believe they probably... They, they should bring a more exciting Andrade out um, on fight night. But, yeah, once again, an awful stoppage. This one was just the definition of awful this stoppage here nothing even happened and the referee intervened there was only 25 seconds to go till the final bell it was appalling referee and twice in a row it had happened um i think then i think the the lenares fight happened in between the two fights but 
you know, pretty much two bad, bad stoppages pretty much in a row. Um, and yeah, it, it all happened on the same card. But what a joke. I mean, I actually predicted Andrade to win on points. That was going to happen all day long. But yourself, Ayaz, and the listeners went with the Andrade knockout. So I was absolutely gutted. I felt like the referee must know about our prediction league and tried to both throw you a lifeline. Um, but yeah, it was what it was. An awful stoppage. Lou DeBella jumped in the ring and went absolutely crazy afterwards. And rightly so. Um, Akavov did certainly deserve to go the distance. That's about it for that card, though. Moving out now to the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York, USA. Let's start here with a man that we will be speaking to later on in the show, Shakur Stevenson. He moved to 10-0. He fought for two belts as well. They were both vacant. The IBF Intercontinental Featherweight title and the WBC Continental America's Featherweight title. Um... His opponent, Jesse Rosales, 22-1 and with one draw going in. That one loss came to former world champion Johnny Gonzalez, the Mexican warrior. Um, and yeah, he, he got stopped by him, I believe, in two rounds. A good stoppage from uh, Shakur Stevenson. A lovely straight left hand. He was hitting his opponent with that one all day long. So a good win for him. 10-0 um, now, double figures for Shakur Stevenson. Uh, we, like I say, we'll be speaking to him later on in the show. Also, we saw former world champion... Champion Jason Sosa, he picked up another win here, 22-3 and three with four draws now, but it wasn't all his own way, he found himself on the deck in round two, he got up and put his man down in round seven, his man was Moises Delgadillo, who now has a record of 17-19 and 19 with two draws, that's not so... So great there to see Sosa get dropped by him in the second round, but fair play. Um, Carlos Adames was on the bill as well. He picked up win number 16, a KO in the third round against Juan Ruiz, who's now 21-4. and four. Um, For those that, that um, have possibly forgotten, Carlos Adames is the guy that's got about 45 siblings. Um, a very good fighter, him, from the Dominican Republic. Moving up the bill for the final time on this one, we saw Brian Jennings, 24-2, and two, take on Oscar Rivas, 25-0, and oh, his record. It was for the IBF International Heavyweight title, the NABF Heavyweight title, and the WBO-NABO Heavyweight title. Now, it was a brutal surge in the final round by... Oscar Rivas, he put Jennings down, and when Jennings got back up, he went in for the kill, and he got the stoppage, and interestingly, going into that last round, one judge had Rivas up by three rounds, one judge had Jennings up by three rounds, and the other judge had Rivas up by one, so the knockout really did throw out any possible controversy, but credit to Oscar Rivas, he's been waiting for a long, long time for a big fight, and he's passed that test there, a very good fighter, people forget that he knocked Kubrat Pulev out of the 2008 Olympics, though it was a over 10 years ago now. Still a good fighter, like I say, from Colombia by way of Canada, and he's beat a real fighter there, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Um, that's it for that one in New York. Let's move out now to Denmark. There was one fight to mention over here, really, that we should mention at the Strura Arena in Denmark. We saw Dennis Shalan, former opponent of Josh Warrington, former opponent of Isaac Lowe. He got in there for the vacant EBU European Union featherweight title. He took on Hesse Sanchez, who actually beat him in 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 um, in in 2018. At some point, they had a fight. I think it was an immediate rematch, and Jesus Sanchez managed to knock him out in the fifth round here. So Dennis Shellan two losses back to back against Jesus Sanchez, who's only 10 and one. Don't know too much about him, but he's made Shellan not look very good there. Shellan now 19 and three with two draws. It's a shame we never got to see the Isaac Lowe rematch. Obviously, that fight ended in. 
um, some unfortunate circumstances for low. Uh, moving out now to the MGM Grand Las Vegas, Nevada, USA, the final bill to mention of the review part of the show. Let's start with the undercard. We saw Marcus Brown Eyes, 22-0. He took on Badu Jack, 22-1 with three draws. It was for the interim WBA World Light Heavyweight title and the vacant WBC Silver Light Heavyweight title. Brown had a point deducted in round seven for holding, but he went on to win unanimously over 12 rounds and of course we saw one of the worst cuts I've ever seen in boxing history it was really hard to watch it but what heart that Badu Jack showed right there that's one of the worst cuts I've ever seen on my life it was properly cutted up like his whole face was blooding and obviously you can see on the ring and even on the referee's uh, referee's t-shirt he actually had blood obviously that happened from a head clash but um, I mean Badu Jack what a warrior is that's what we call a warrior from uh, from that head clash here other trainers would have said, yeah, cut the fight. But this guy had blood on his face and he was still fighting and fighting and obviously lost on a fair, on a points decision. Thing is, I, w- I want to see, I would like to see that rematch again because I think Badu Jack would without the cut. I think Badu Jack would beat him. So in my opinion, I mean, if the cut didn't happen, I think I, w- I, w- I think Badu Jack would have won. But I, w- I want to see the rematch between uh, Jack and Brown. Okay, controversial from you guys, unlike you. I went through the fight. I've got my assessment. The first round I felt was a great round for Marcus Brown. He probably outlanded Jack by about three punches to every one that Jack landed. But it was a clumsy start immediately from Badu Jack. I know that he's a bit of a slow starter at times. So I was, you know, I was looking forward to the next few rounds. But definitely the first one I gave to Marcus Brown. In the second round, it was another round for Brown. I mean, Jack appeared to start the fight quite slowly. As I say, it was a cautious start by him. The third round, once again, I gave that one to Brown. The same with the fourth round. The fifth round, what started out as a very scrappy and untidy round, um, Brown turned up the volume big time in the second half of that round and seemed to stun Jack a few times. So I gave the first five rounds to Marcus Brown. Going into the sixth round, once again, I gave another round there to Brown. I was really confused at that stage by Jack's performance. He just seemed to not be at the races. In the seventh round, that was where we saw that nasty head clash and Badu Jack was cut. It was a 10-8 round for Badu Jack funny enough though because obviously I I mentioned Marcus Brown had a point deducted for persistent holding the commentators scored it a 9-9 round Um, you know but that didn't really matter too much in the 8th round the cut worsened for Badu Jack a big round for Marcus Brown it was sad to see Jack's corner basically telling Jack to be sneaky and try and get Brown disqualified I mean what negative hope when you actually think about that your corner are saying don't worry just do some sneaky stuff and get him disqualified I mean how disheartening um, round nine, I gave it to Brown once again. In the tenth round, Brown once again won that round. It was hard to give anything to Jack. It was quite sad, really, because I'm a big fan of Jack. He's a friend of the show, and Marcus Brown had never been past ten rounds, and he was just about to do so. And he went out there in the eleventh round, um, and he, he went into the eleventh round for the first time in his career. And the referee actually, at that point, asked the doctor to have a look at Jack's face, and the cut was absolutely dreadful. His whole face was covered in blood. He could barely see because of the blood flow, but he insisted he was okay, and they let him carry on. And you know he did and like I say what a warrior Badu Jack is but one thing he does have is tons of heart and he has got the kind of Swedish meatballs that you cannot buy in Ikea (laughs) in the 12th round um you know, just before that, just before that round started, the corner man of Jack, he said, "We need Mike Tyson now. No boxing, just a straight right hook." I don't know what a straight right hook is, but um, 
He also said, your daughter is worried. And I felt that that was a really weird thing to try to say to motivate your fighter. I mean, that would that would worry anyone. Surely they'd say, what? My daughter's worried. I'm going to jump out the ring and try and comfort her. But um, yeah, he went out there in that 12th and final round. During the round, the arena had a blackout, which was really strange. For about half a second, the lights went out and it was pitch black. I've never seen that one before. Uh, Badu Jack did try his best in the 12th round, but it was probably still a brown round. So a massive statement there by Marcus Brown, possibly a big player in the division, but such class shown in defeat from Badu Jack. I mean, he walked around the ring holding Brown's arms up, even though he really needed to leave and get to the hospital. And then immediately after the fight, Marcus Brown called out Gvozdik. I mean, I'm all for that fight, Ayaz. It was it was tremendous. Um, but yeah, like like you say, a rematch. I'm not quite sure I'd, I'd want to see that. I think every round was a clear brown round, aside from the one where he had a point deducted. And even then, the commentary team didn't score it to Badu. They gave it a 9-9. So um, he just seemed to be too big and too strong for Badu and too athletic as well. And he punches hard enough to let you know about it, but... Teak Tough from Badu Jack. We expect nothing less. What a fighter he is. Um, moving up the card once again, we saw Nordin Ubali, 14-0 with 11 knockouts. He stepped in against Roche Warren. The pair had history because Ubali beat Warren in the amateurs. It was for the vacant WBC World Bantamweight crown. It went 12 rounds. It was unanimous in favour of Ubali. So he beat um, Warren in the amateurs and he beat him here in the pros. He's the new WBC world champion. 15-0 and 0 with 11 stoppages. Roche Warren back to the drawing board. His record... You know, his record suggests he's not as good as what he actually is. So it's a bit deceiving. 16-3. and three. And the main event, Manny Pacquiao. 60 wins, 7 losses and 2 draws. It was his 70th fight. It ended up being a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Adrian Broner. 33-4 and four now with 1 draw. Um, of course, it was for Pacquiao's WBA World Welterweight title. Um... I'm going to quickly run through it, Ayaz, before I, before I throw it over to you. The first round I gave to Manny Pacquiao, that speed was still so dazzling, even at 40 years of age. Whenever he let his hands go, even if he missed, the crowd went wild. It was real exciting. Uh, round two, it was more of the same, really, but Broner did have a better round, despite losing it still. In the third round, an excellent round. Pacquiao got through with a couple of lovely-looking power punches, including one early on, what forced Broner to hold. It's amazing that Pacquiao, like I say, has still got those raised a sharp reflexes but perhaps most impressively was his power jab I mean he showed a fantastic jab in this fight a great tool and his ability to find angles and all of his feints it all came together beautifully early on as early as the third round sometimes it takes a fighter a few rounds to get into their groove it was there immediately for Pacquiao in the fourth round I actually agreed with Paulie Malinagi on the commentary I did give that round to Adrian Broner basically due to his sharp counter punches both with his left and right but mainly that left hook was working well for him a good round nonetheless it was a close round Um, I can see that people would probably give it to Pacquiao but for me it was 3-1 after 4 in favour of the Pac-Man in the 5th round once again another Pacquiao round the pace slowed a bit to be honest but Pacquiao was going to the body nicely time and time again in the 6th round another Pacquiao round despite Broner landed a nice little counter combo at the very last seconds of that round so 5-1 after 6 for me um 
The seventh round, a massive Manny Pacquiao round. It was in the last minute of the round where Pacquiao caught Broner with a straight left hand that travelled a long, long way and Broner got stunned and momentarily his defence was very leaky and Pacquiao made the most of it and had Broner holding on for dear life, it seemed. The referee even looked like he was having a look, to be honest. An amazing round there for Pacquiao. The eighth round, a much better effort from Broner in the eighth. Still a close round. I think I probably edged it to Broner out of sympathy. Not that Broner's a man that deserves much sympathy, but I I gave him that round, so 6-2 after 8. Um, the commentators gave that one to Pacquiao, though. In the ninth round, another great round for Pacquiao. A big shot straight down the middle to Broner's chin. That left hand again, that straight left hand again, had Broner laying on the ropes, and he took more damage there. Um, Pacquiao seemed like he was looking like his old self again. The pre-Jeff Horn version, he looked really good for me. Going into the 10th round, it just kind of made me realise it's amazing how Manny Pacquiao can still provide entertaining fight after entertaining fight still at age 40. I mean, he's one of the most entertaining and exciting fighters to ever see. And he's a living legend. His fitness also to still be there in the 10th round. What a star he is. A close round though in the 10th round, but I gave it to Pacquiao. In the 11th, Manny won that round once again. I mean, Broner boxed in the second half of the round like he was winning the round or something, but he was dancing around and wasn't really willing to engage, but he lost the round clearly. A bit strange from him. Um, in the 12th and final round, once again, I gave that one to Pacquiao. Not much happened, to be honest, but Manny stole it in the last minute of the round. Broner started celebrating, of course, after the fight, and he was heard saying, I won the fight with smart boxing. They can't cheat me today. And in his eyes, he was cheated. Um, my score at the end of it was 118-110 in favour of the Pac-Man and still, and great did he look, to be honest, I as in my opinion. Um, what were your thoughts on the fight? I think it was a decent fight, to be fair. I mean, Pacquiao won the fight, fair play to him. I mean, obviously, he's a future Hall of Famer. But the funniest thing that made me laugh, how Broner said he's won the, he won the fight, which I don't think he actually did. Uh, Pacquiao was on him from the start with the speed. Uh, in my opinion, Pacquiao beat him. But I don't know how Broner said after the interview, I think I won the fight. Because I had, I had Pacquiao winning the fight completely. What do you want to see next from Pacquiao? What do you want to see next for Adrian Broner also? The person I'd like to see Pacquiao fight would be someone like Keith Furman. Because I think that would be a very decent fight. They both are the same promoters. Uh, with Adrian, obviously, I'm a fight in Crawford. I tell you, a fight that I'd like to see Adrian Broner fight. Adrian Broner versus Danny Garcia. Because I think that would be a very decent fight. I think that's a 50-50 fight. Yeah, I like the sound of that. What's your thoughts on... Um, if Kel Brook stays at 147 and doesn't move up to 154, we're still unsure what he's going to do. If he stays at 147, how about Brook Broner? Personally, I don't think Brook is going to fight Broner. I think he's going to fight Jesse Vargas next. So um, I don't think that fight's going to happen. Kel Brook versus Danny Garcia is a decent fight. But um, like I said, personally, I can see just only for, the only two people I can see Kel Brook fighting. It's either Jesse Vargas or Jess, uh, Jeff Horn. Oh, we don't want to see the Jeff Horn fight, please God. Um, and talking about the predictions from last week, Ayaz, you actually came out um, with with the most correct answers. Um, I went with Andrade on points. We mentioned that you and the listeners went with Andrade by a knockout. Uh, we all went with Badu Jack to win. That completely didn't happen. I went with points and you both went with Jack by a knockout. So no one gained a point there. And then... The listeners went with Pacquiao to win by knockout. I said Pacquiao points, so did you, Ayaz. So one point game for me, two for you, Ayaz, and one for the listeners. So very well done, Ayaz. But that's about it for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated and new IBF super middleweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Mr. Caleb Plant. Caleb, welcome to the show, sir. 
man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. Hey, it's my pleasure, sir. So, Caleb, it's been 10 days today since you won the title. I just said it there and the new. Has it sunk in yet? Does it feel real? Um, You know, I'm feeling good. I'm happy. I, um, I'm excited about how the fight turned out. But, uh, no, I don't think it's fully set in yet. I think, I think it's going to take a little time. And talk us through the fight, Caleb, if you can. I mean, I've got to be honest. Going into the fight, I favoured Uzkategi only because of the way... You know, he beat Darrell. The fact that our very own James DeGale vacated the title instead of fighting him. Those two reasons, coupled with the fact that not all of your fights have been shown on UK television. I favoured him going in. I thought he'd perhaps be, you know, be victorious. But talk us through the fight. It was amazing from you. Yeah, I know um, the two guys that you mentioned are some big names. But, you know, I just feel like I'm built different. Clearly, uh, your guy, you know, he vacated and, and didn't even want to fight him. Um, and then, of course, Andre Durrell, he's a super talented guy. He's got a lot of attributes, but, you know, I don't feel like we're about the same either. So, you know, going going into the fight, I knew this was going to be a rough, tough, rugged dude who comes forward. And, you know, I knew he was going to try to win. I knew he wasn't going to want to give up his title. But, you know, I've been boxing for a long time. I've been all over the world doing this, so. Um, I knew that I was prepared. I knew that I was ready. I had a great camp. And uh, there was only going to be one way that that night ended, and that was with my hammer. And one of Uzkategi's strongest attributes, in my opinion, would probably be his power. Uh, perhaps your power had been slept on slightly. Um, obviously, you were able to drop him in the second round. But in my opinion, where you really showed character was in the fourth round. Um, obviously, it being your first attempt at a world title, um, you know, you, you'd, you'd got off to a fantastic start. But in that fourth round, when you had a bloodied nose, and for the first time in the fight, you seemed a little uncomfortable for a few seconds. And some people let that take a toll on them mentally but you didn't and you were both trading left hooks which I thought perhaps wasn't the smartest tactic but you were able to drop him once again and from that point onwards you seemed to grow in confidence and despite Uzkategi's toughness you were able to cruise to a wide points win. Um, am I accurate in my assessment there? Have you got anything to add on that? What's your thoughts? Yeah I think, I think people had stuck on my power but if people remember I started out like 9-0, 10-0 with 9 or 10 knockouts but then I started to develop some hand problems before fights, during fights especially. And um, anyone who's laced up gloves or, or has had hand injuries while they've had to fight, they know it. You know, it's not always easy to set on your punches and, and get them out of there like you want. But after I broke my hand, I really focused and buckled down on strengthening my hands to try and prevent injuries. And uh, I told myself going into this fight, I'm just going to let my hands go like I know I can. And uh, it's going to be what it's going to be. So I, I think people slept on my power. And I also got to show a lot of other great attributes as well during the fight that a lot of people hadn't seen yet because before this fight, I hadn't made everything seem so easy. You know, I, I, I hadn't played all my cards yet. So things like you said, my toughness, my, my heart, I showed I have a great chin. I showed how competitive I am that I'm not just going to lay down for anybody. So that's a fantastic performance once again. And what does it mean to you, Caleb, to achieve this, to win a world title, to finally see light at the end of a very emotional tunnel? And that's putting it very lightly, of course. It wanted to be in what I said it would be, and that's overwhelming. You know, 17 years I've done this straight, no break, and to bring something to fruition that was really one of the only things that kept me going, which was hearing the words and the new. When things got hard, you know, people who know my story, closing my eyes and just envisioning hearing the words and the new is, is what kept me going. So to finally bring that to life was a good feeling. 
and it seems like I'm reading a page from a fairy tale, but right after the fight, you got down on one knee, you proposed to your lady, who also, of course, works in boxing. She said yes, and further made the night one to fondly remember forever, Caleb. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I had had that plan for a while. And, you know, like I said, I, I knew I was going to do it after the fight. So there was only one way that night was going to go. That's for me to get my hand raised. I wasn't about to let him mess up my plan. It felt good. I had to hurry up and ask her before she came to her senses. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you, um, Caleb, you say there a lot of planning went into it. You wasn't going to let um, Jose, you know, change your plans. If the worst thing happened, if you if you were to have lost there, would you have chose a different moment to propose or, or not, perhaps? There was no way I was going to lose that. <laughs> That's fine. Well, you know, on, on fight night, I'm getting my hand raised. That's all there is to it. And uh, whether it's for a world title, whether I'm, I'm fighting for it or whether I'm defending it, on fight night, anybody who gets in the ring with me, they got their hands full. So. And what is next for you, Caleb? I know it's still pretty early. Um, there are many, many big fights for you out there. Um, obviously, James DeGaulle and Chris Eubank Jr. are fighting next month. Callum Smith holds a world title. Um, Canelo, it looks like he's moving back down to 160, but that would be a massive fight should he come back to 168. What are your, uh, your, your next plans? That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of names in the Hershey Pound division. We got a lot of options right now. You know, I'm just kind of enjoying the moment, soaking it in. It took me a long time to get here, and uh, I just want to enjoy this moment for myself for a while. But with that being said, I will say I'm clearly not scared to fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. I came off a year layoff with a broken hand, hand surgery, no tuna fight, and they said he was the boogeyman of the division. And I said, oh, him right there? Cool. That's what I want. I had earned my position to fight for that world title, and there was no way I was going to turn it down. So we're looking to give you guys big fights, exciting fights, fights that people want to see. Excellent news for boxing fans there, and like I say, you know, once again, a, a brilliant, brilliant thing for you to come off that layoff and to fight. You're right in saying the boogeyman of the division, the man that, you know, was was avoided by many people. Um, finally, Caleb, just coming down to the last couple sure. of questions. Sorry, go on. Oh, I was going to say, like, as you said before, that's the guy James Miguel vacated. Gave up his world title just because he didn't want to fight him. Exactly, exactly. Um, coming down to the last couple of questions, Caleb, a couple of uh, questions that you may need to think about uh, just quickly here. Um, I like to ask everybody that we speak to from overseas who their favorite UK fighter is of all time. Who's yours? Um, Joe Kozaki, he's from Wales, right? He was fine. Because you being senior, he was, uh, you know, he had a great personality. Lennox Lewis, he was a monster. <laughs> All three of those guys are very popular answers. And Caleb, of course, you've 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 made a lot of new fans over here in the UK. Your fight was was um, was shown out here. A lot of people tuned into that. What is your message to 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 all your fans that you've got over here this side of the water? What's your message to those guys? Man, I got to give a special shout out to all of my UK fans. You know, it's one thing to be liked or loved over here, but for you guys to support what I'm doing, to support my journey, you know, if you know my story, then, then you know um, I don't take support lightly. I'm grateful for it. And if you don't know my story, you know, go check it out because, you know, it could be motivation for you or, or let you know that if I can do it, you can do it too. So huge shout out to my UK fans, man. I, I really appreciate you guys. 
Very well said, Caleb. And I just want to say, before we end this, I want to say that, of course, we don't know each other personally, but I must say that I'm very proud of you for achieving a world title here. I mean, I read the press release of you describing in great detail the whole ordeal in which, of course, you you know, you told your story, you lost your poor little daughter. And, you know, I've got a young daughter myself and I can't begin to imagine what you went through. I was actually in a restaurant with my wife at the time and I was reading out everything in the press release word for word. And I suddenly couldn't shift the lump in my throat I couldn't help myself but cry and from that moment I became hugely behind you and I just want you to know that you've got a new fan in me for life and I truly mean that uh man well I, I'm, I'm truly grateful for that and uh I know you was excited about this fight and, and you you had your questions but I hope I was able to answer them and moving forward I'm gonna give you and the UK fans some exciting big fights Thank you, Caleb. Thank you for your time. Congrats once again on the epic win. Best of luck for what's next, and we'll catch up sometime soon. Yes, sir, we will. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. I have to take it away. What you got? Um, yes, George Joyce will face the main event on the James DeGale versus Chris Eubank Jr. undercard. Yes, a big fight there. Obviously, Stavern, a former WBC world champion. I mean, listen, he's not been incredibly active, Bermain Stavern. He's not been incredibly impressive, to be completely honest. But, you know, he's a tough guy. He can be. Um, he's a big puncher. He provides a test. He's going to be the, you know, the the, the, the the much smaller man. You'd hope that speed would be on his side to make it interesting. Um, I'm not quite sure it will. It depends what shape he's in. He hasn't actually fought for over a year. His last fight was in November 2017 against Wilder, where he got knocked out in a round. The last time he did some proper rounds, he went 10 rounds with Derek Rossi back in 2015 in November. So that's over three years ago now. So a, a very badly inactive version of Bermain Stavern, but it's a, it's a real good scout for the record. I don't think he's going to get the knockout in the first round, but if he did, then he could seriously um, make some big noise there because Wilder did it in a round and, you know, you can't do anything better than that. But a good fight. I'm really excited for that one. Yep, the WBO have made um, Billy Joe Saunders mandatory against Demetrius Andrade. Yeah, um, I mean, we were we were hearing that this was a possibility. We had Demetrius Andrade on the show last week, and this news hadn't broke at that point, but it has broken now since he obviously defended successfully his belt on the weekend. Um, there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, obviously, we all know Frank Warren's really close with the WBO, and they seem to... Um, have a great relationship and you know that's that's all good and well that's completely fine but um, if if Billy Joe Saunders was guilty of taking something to you know to consciously get an edge you know then obviously he's 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 being given a second chance here and that's not really fair but we're not quite sure whether the nasal spray was intentionally used to try and gain an edge we're never going to know um, you know, Billy Joe, of course, says he's completely innocent. If that is the case, then I'm happy to see him being made mandatory. But whether it's right or wrong comes down to whether he's guilty or innocent. And we don't really know. So we can't do much but sit back and look forward to what will be a real good fight, a great clash of styles and a true chess match. Canelo will face uh, Danny Jacobs on May the 4th. Yes, Cinco de Mayo, and it's going to be Jacobs and Canelo, a fight which I expected to happen. I didn't really think about it when Canelo signed with the zone, but I thought about it before that, weirdly, when the fight was probably not so 
uh, easy to make, where now it obviously is. Um, it's, it's, it's the second fight of Canelo's deal with the zone, obviously. The first one was against Rocky Fielding, so he's going to move back down to middleweight and challenge, well, unify with Danny Jacobs. So, yeah, good fight. Um, I'd expect Canelo to win pretty big, to be honest, but um, it'd be interesting. It's a good payday for Jacobs. It's a good fight. You know, there's not many great fights that can be made in the middleweight division, if we're being honest. Not many people want to see Demetrius Andrade. Not many people want to see Jim Charlo after that last performance, where he was a little bit lucky to walk out the ring with his title. Billy Joe Saunders, he's in a bad place at the moment. Golovkin, is he going to retire? Is he fighting Callum Smith and moving up? No one quite knows. So there's not many fighters sticking around at 160 for Canelo to fight next, and one of the best people for him to fight is Danny Jacobs. So I'm all for that fight. Good fight. Looking forward to it. Matchroom Boxing will return to Italy on March the 8th. Yes, March the 8th, the return of Matchroom Italy. Um, last time we saw lots of British fighters taking on Italian fighters, where this time I think it's a bit different. I don't think we're going to see many. I think there's one one British fighter that's going to be on the bill. Jamie Cox, I think, is on the card. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, but it's not it's not a fantastic bill, if I'm being honest. Karen Leharaga will face Davian Afanesian on March the 30th in Bilbao. Good pronunciation, I had. It's quite, quite shocking now. I might have to let you start pronouncing all the weird... Well, not the weird names, but the, the tricky-sounding Spanish names since we don't have Mimi Melendez on the show anymore, who was a, a perfectionist with the pronunciation. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good fight. Obviously, David Amanesian against Josh Kelly is a fight that seems like it's dead in the water now, unfortunately. Um, both teams pointing the finger at each other. No one really knows the ins and outs. And if they do, then they are being quiet about it. And um, I shall not make any further comment. But it is what it is. It looks like that fight is not going to happen. Um... So, yeah, it's a good fight in the meantime for David Avanesian. I think the money for both fights is around about the same. So, you know, what would you do? Would you rather fight um, Leharaga in Spain, in Bilbao, or would you rather fight Josh Kelly? Who's better? It's difficult to say. Um, you know, both are tough fights, and I applaud David Avanesian for taking this fight because it is a tough fight. It's for the European title. He's travelling to hostile territory, but, you know, he's gone all over the world, really, um, Avanesian. You know, he's he's a traveller, um, and, and he's a good fighter as well. So it's a great fight there. I'm looking forward to it, and it's going to be interesting. But um, I'm glad that his career hasn't really stagnated or anything like that. I'm glad that he hasn't been waiting too long, and, you know, when he found out, or believed that the Josh Kelly fight finally wasn't going to get rescheduled for the time that they wanted it in 2019. He's straight away got another fight. So, uh, yeah, credit to him, and I'm looking forward to it for sure. That's it for the news. Thank you very much, Ayaz. Right, moving over to the preview part of the show. We're going to start at the Casa de Amistad in Harlingen, Texas, USA. Uh, there is a fight over here to mention. The return of heavyweight Eric Molina, 26-5, and five, friend of the show. He's in a six-rounder against Hugo Trujillo, who's got a record of 4-1 and one with one draw. Um, surely an easy win for Eric Molina. He's been out of the ring for quite a while. Obviously, there's been lots and lots of question marks about a supposed failed drug test. Um, no one quite knows what's going on there, but all the very best to him if he's innocent. Moving out to Germany... 
at a venue that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. We're going to see Vincent Feigenbutz, 29-2, and fight for the vacant Global Boxing Union World Super Middleweight title against Prism Slaw Opalach, a Polish fighter, I'm guessing, 27-2. Um, and two, So that one should be decent. Moving over now to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. One fight to mention over here, the return of Cleta Seldin, 22-1. He takes on Adam Mate, 28-13. That's a 10-rounder there. Um, moving out now to the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, USA. This is the final two bills to mention now. Um... This one's going to be shown on ITV4 once again. Thank you, Al Heyman, you absolute legend. And it's also going to be shown on Fox Sports in the USA. Um, we're going to see the younger brother of Gary Russell Jr., Gary Antoine Russell. His record's 7-0. and oh. He's in a sixth round against Roberto Almazan, who's 7-8. and eight. Also, the other brother... Um, Antonio Russell, twelve and zero. He takes on Lucas Baez, who's thirty-four and seventeen with five draws. That's an eight-rounder there. This is a great fight, I as we've gone to the predictions on this. Adam Kaunaki, eighteen and zero. Um, his last win was against Prince Charles Martin on points. He also knocked out Arthur Spilker early on. He takes on Gerald Washington, a man that. Well, I mean, I don't know if I want to say he's an overachiever or underachiever. He got in there with Deontay Wilder. He was winning all four rounds till he walked onto one. And um, the last three or four shots of that combination that finished him didn't even land. But he was he was knocked out in, in, in inverted commas. But um, yeah, an interesting clash of styles here. We had Gerald on the show a couple of weeks back. A 10-round contest there. Um, Ayaz, Kalnaki and Gerald Washington. How do you see it? I'm going with Washington on point. Um, the listeners are going with Kalnaki by knockout. My loyalty is with Gerald. I don't know Kalnaki, so if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Gerald Washington win by points as well. Okay, backing me. I'm not that confident that it's going to happen because Kalnaki is a good fighter, but um, Gerald Washington is, you know, he's a taller man, and if he uses his reach, then he can win. If he uses his jab, which he's got a good jab, if he uses it, he can win this fight. The only problem for me is if he runs out of gas late on, I think he could end up getting stopped. But saying that, Kalnaki runs out of gas himself late on, so... Very interesting, that fight. I hope that they show that one as part of the telecast on Saturday night. Um, moving up the bill once again for the final time. Keith Furman, the return of him. He's been out the ring, I has, for 22 months he's been out the ring. Obviously, he's coming off that win over... Um, over was it no it was Danny Garcia last time out um, but yeah unbelievably they've let him keep his WBA super world welterweight title um, you know I'm a, I'm a little bit biased but I love Keith Furman so I'm happy that they've let him keep his world title he takes on Josecito Lopez 36 and 7 um, people forget about Keith Thurman Ayaz when it comes down to it when they talk about the best fighters at welterweight they talk about Errol Spence they talk about Terence Bud Crawford but you've got to remember the man that's easily got the best resume in terms of fights actually at 147 to fight Danny Garcia and Sean Porter back to back and beat both of them he's got the best wins at 147 of any other active fighter so for me he deserves his spot at the top and I do want to see the big fights but more importantly I'm happy to see the return of one time Keith it's going to be a good fight. Obviously, we've seen Keith Furman back after a lot after in, after the injuries that he's had. But if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to go with Keith Furman to win, but on points because I think he's going to have a lot of ring rust, having not been in the ring for such a long time. The last time we've seen him fight is when he fought Danny Garcia, right? 
And I personally think, obviously, um, to me, I think Furman will win on points. I think Jose Tito Lopez will do okay, but then I, I still think Furman will win on points. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to go with Keith Furman by knockout, but I can completely see your point, Ayaz. The last time that um, Keith Furman scored a knockout was over Louis Collazo back in 2015, and we've got to remember Collazo's age, and it wasn't even that he knocked him out. He retired on his stall. Um and then he obviously, before that, went the distance with Robert Guerrero. He went the distance with Leonard Bundu. And then he he uh, made Julio Diaz retire on his store after three rounds. The last proper knockout where he TKO'd someone was against Jesus Soto Carras in 2013. So, yeah, there will be ring rust, you'd imagine. Um, and, you know, he hasn't really been knocking people out. But saying that, when you look at his opponent here, we mentioned Jose Cito Lopez, a man that has been... A little bit more active, but not so much more active. He's only had, I think he's had, I think he had one fight in maybe maybe a couple months after Keith Furman's fight. He had a fight, and it went the distance. And then he had a fight in 2018, just the one fight against Miguel Cruz, and it went the distance over Tim. So he hasn't been overly active himself. But yeah, I mean, he's been in there with Andre Berto. He got stopped in 2015 by Berto in the sixth round. He got stopped in the sixth round against Maidana. He got stopped in the fifth round against Canelo. I'm expecting a late stoppage for Keith Furman, but I am going to go with Furman by knockout. And the listeners are also going with Furman by knockout. So all the very best with that. I'm so excited to see him back in the ring, though. I truly am. And the final bill to mention now, we're going to go over to the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas, USA. Um, we've got Virgil Ortiz Jr., 11-0. He's in a 10-rounder against Jesus Barayan, who's 23-4 with one draw. Ortiz Jr., by the way, is one of the most talked-about prospects. He really, really could be the future of boxing. A fantastic young fighter. He's actually said if he gets 5,000 retweets on his page, he's going to walk out to Baby Shark. So if you haven't seen that, please head over to his Twitter page and give a retweet to that post. And hopefully we hear him walking out to the ring to... Baby shark, do, 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 the baby shark. Hope that the copyright people don't get onto me. Oh, yes, have a go at baby shark. Let's let the listeners in. Let's give them a little surprise. Give them a gift, and please do a verse of baby shark. Beautiful, as the listeners love you, they truly do. And um, on this bill, we should talk about the two world title clashes when we move up slightly here. We're going to see Jesus Rojas twenty-six and two with two draws. That's the guy that lost last time out to Joseph Diaz, but because Diaz didn't make the weight. Um, even though he lost the fight, he still retained the world title. He puts his belt on the line against Kanzu, who has a record of 15-2, and two, the Chinaman. Good fight there. And Jaime Munguiraz, 31-0. and 0. Um, I'm trying to work out if he's fought since the Liam Smith fight. I think he has. I'm sure he has. Anyway, 31-0. He puts his WBO World Super Welterweight title on the line against Takeshi Inoue, 13-0 with one draw. No relation to Naoya Inoue. He simply is another Japanese fighter who's unbeaten and a good fighter. Um... Mungir, I think he's still 22 years of age. It's just remarkable what a fighter he is. Um, Inoue, though, um, how how are we seeing this one play out? I'm not going to lie, eyes. I haven't seen much of Inoue. Um, I'm going to go Mungir by knockout. The listeners are also going Mungir by knockout. Are you going Mungir by knockout? Yep, I'm going to go Mungir by knockout. Playing it safe, eyes. Okay, no problem. Right, that is it for the preview part of the show. We brought you the news, we brought you the review, we brought you part one, and it's now time to welcome our second and final guest, of course, 
and I said his name earlier on in the show, Mr. Shakur Stevenson. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Olympic silver medalist and unbeaten professional. It is, of course, Mr. Shakur Stevenson. Shakur, welcome back on the show, my friend. Hey. So Shakur, we last spoke just over a year ago, I believe it was December 2017, and at that time, you'd just beaten Oscar Mendoza. Obviously, you know, 2018 was a very busy year for you, five fights, five wins, um, you didn't even lose a single round in 2018. Obviously, the best win of all those five wins had to have been Viriel Simeon. I remember watching that fight and my jaw dropping to the floor. Tell us about that fantastic win there, Shakur. I guess that was uh, one of my best performances uh, as a pro. I, know, I, felt, I felt good that fight because I kind of felt like everybody was sleeping on me and kind of felt like two years thing, I'm overrated and stuff like that. So kind of hyped me up. Yeah, it certainly did. And, you know, most people, including myself, expected the fight to probably go to distance. I mean, his two losses previously were to English fighters. We all know, well, sorry, I should say British fighters. Um, you know, we know him very, very well over here. He gave Scott Quigg a good fight. He lost on points. He gave Lee Selby a good fight. He lost on points. And for you to stop him in the first round, I mean, you had him down three times. Quigg and Selby, they're two world-level fighters. They're former world champions. And when you made that, that massive stake, did you surprise yourself at all, or did you expect to finish him that early? Uh, I actually did surprise myself a little bit with that performance because <laughs> I, I knew I could stop him. Uh, my granddad was, he kept telling me like the hook was going to be there, but I didn't think it was going to happen that early. I, I didn't think it was going to happen in the first round, so I kind of did surprise myself. And it's a, it's a brilliant surprise to, to surprise yourself like that. Now, Shakur, your nickname, your nickname, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, is Fearless. Have I got that right? Nah, I ain't got no nickname yet. Okay, because because you're listed, I think it's on Boxrec. It says that your 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 nickname is Fearless. Are you on the search for a for a nickname at the moment? Nah, I'm not really on the search. I mean, I'm really gonna let like a, a nickname come to me. I'm not gonna force it because I I ain't one of them type of that that like forces something and then don't like the nickname. Okay, fair enough. Because, yeah, like I say, you've got one of the best smiles in boxing, that is for sure. Uh, I just think smiling Shakur Stevenson doesn't sound the most intimidating name, but we'll leave that there. We'll see what happens with that. Um, when we last spoke, Shakur, one of my questions to you was, what's on your wish list for 2018? What can you do in your career in 2018? And your answer was a brilliant answer. You actually said, I know I'm a prospect right now, but I want to become an even bigger prospect in 2018. I want to fight as much as possible, and I want to keep making statements. And then in 2019, I want that to be the year for a possible title shot. And looking back at that, Shakur, so far everything's right on track. You've made statements. You fought as much as possible in 2018. I said five times. Um, you know, you didn't lose a round. You became an even bigger prospect. Um, perhaps even a contender now. Everything's on track for you. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, everybody keeps saying the same thing. They keep trying to claim like they're not prospects no more. Everybody's saying they're contenders. So I know for a fact, if you would call them contenders, I'm definitely a contender also. So. Yes, but 
brilliant words for you to say that. I mean, lots and lots of young guys, they'd say, oh, I want to be a world champion in 2018. But you know the game. You understand boxing and the business of it. And to make that prediction there, you know, everything came true. Everything's right on track. It it was a brilliant thing to say. Um, And like I say, we're only a few weeks into 2019 and you've already fought. You've already stepped in the ring. Uh, You were able to stop Jesse Rosales in the fourth round on Friday in New York. Once again, his only loss before you was against Johnny Gonzalez, a former three-time world champion. This is just more proof that you're right up there now. You seem like you had fun in there, Shakur. Please talk us through the fight. Honestly, I feel like that was my favorite fight out of all my fights. Uh, I like my, my performance before that. It was a nice knockout. But this performance, I really got to display my skills and show that I can fit in the pocket. And I can fight and I can box. So, if you look at the first two rounds, I was boxing. Then the third and fourth, I started stepping to them. So, this, this is my favorite performance out of all my fights. Yeah, I mean, to finish him off with that straight left hand, it was a, you know, it was a brilliant punch that you was able to find time and time again throughout the four rounds. Um, elsewhere, obviously a big card happened elsewhere, uh, Broner and Pacquiao. Have you had any chance to catch up on that? What did you make of that fight? Yeah, I watched it. Um, I mean, Pacquiao won. He did what he had to do. He was uh, more busy than AD. He was the best man that night. Don't say that in front of Broner. <laughs> um, what's, what's your plan this, this year Shakur obviously like I say you had five fights in 2018 how many fights are you looking to have this year and is anyone on your radar right now uh, right now I ain't really making too many predictions I feel like I'm going to let top rank uh, do most of the planning and I'm going to just follow their lead I feel like I'm ready for a world title in my next fight but Obviously, I'm not going to get a world title in my next fight, but I'm going to just keep smashing the guys they put in front of me and waiting for my opportunity to come. And obviously, you campaign at featherweight. Um, who do you have as, you know, perhaps the top three fighters at featherweight right now in the world? Obviously, you've got the likes of Oscar Valdez, Josh Warrington, Leo Santa Cruz, Gary Russell Jr., some great fighters. How do you rank them one through to three, if you can? Uh, one to three, I would say... Gary Russell, Santa Cruz, and then Oscar Valdez. Okay, I was, I, was, I was trying to see if you were going to slide Josh Warrington in there. He just about doesn't get in the top three for you. Nah, he's, he's top four. They, they, they four titles. Okay. I think Josh Warrington, the last of the, uh, of the all of them, because then he gets title last. He was the last one with the title. Um, well, he beat Carl Frampton just a couple of weeks back, or about a month ago now, and um, he, yeah, he, he so beat Lee Selby, yeah. Yeah, but I was saying, like, he was, uh, they all had the title longer than he Oh, did, yes, right? yes, yes, of course, yes. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's why, that was mainly my decision on that. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I want to ask you also, Shakur, what do you get up to in your spare time? I mean, do you live an eventful life? Do you live a pretty boring life? What are your interests when you're not in a boxing ring or in the gym? I'm not in a boxing ring. Mostly, I really do. I play spend time with my family. I play basketball a lot. I like playing basketball. That's something I like doing in my spare time. And playing, play video games too. PlayStation or Xbox? 
<laughs> okay, I might have to exchange ads with you after this interview. Um, Shakur, yeah. your your manager Andre Ward. I mean, the boxing world seemed to never want to accept the fact that he's hung up the gloves. He's retired. People still link him with all these crazy fights. Canelo at one sixty eight. I've been hearing, um, you know, a Usyk fight at cruiserweight. How do you think he would have got on with those guys had he not retired? Uh, I honestly would love to see him in the ring with both of them guys. I feel like Canelo is, Canelo is one of the best fighters in boxing right now. But Jerry would be way too much to play Canelo. Yeah, um, I think he would be six also. Okay. And you yourself, um, Shakur, you know, you, you've had a couple of Twitter spats, if you like, with, 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 with a few guys. One of them being... Devin Haney. I mean, we had Devin Haney on the show back in August. He didn't have anything but positive things to say about you, to be honest. I'm guessing you guys are cool now? Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say cool, but I don't really... I don't dislike him now. I don't got nothing against him, man. Uh, I saw his last performance. That was a great performance, and I wish him none but success. That's pretty much what he said. He, he wished you all the best also when we spoke to him. Um, out of nowhere, Shakur, you know, you've made it clear that you do have a desire to fight the likes of Josh Warrington. I read something. I think I saw I saw you say something. Is that a realistic fight that can be made? If so, would you be willing to travel to the UK? Um, what do you see in him that, that you can exploit? Yeah, that's definitely a realistic fight that can be made. Um, while I was in England and him and Frank Warren, ain't that um, Josh Warrington promoter? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I think they were discussing I think he was discussing it with him or something like that, but that's definitely a realistic fight that can be made. And it ain't really like I see something bad in him. I, I think he's a, a tremendous fighter. I feel like he got a great work rate. I feel like, I said it before, I feel like he throws six or seven punches while you throw two punches. Like, and his record says he's, what, 27 and 0 with only like six knockouts, but he looks a lot stronger than what his record shows. Like, me looking on the outside. From what I see, he looks a lot stronger than what his his, his knockout percentage is. So I think he's a great fighter, but I don't know. I just believe in myself. You certainly should. You certainly should. Um... Yeah, I mean, obviously, you, you said it a little bit earlier. You said a world title fight, realistically, will not be next for you. Um, how far away do you see a fight like that? Not not just with Josh, but with, with any of their champions. How far away do you see it? Can it happen in 2019, realistically, or are we more so looking at 2020? Realistically, it can happen the end of 2019, or it can happen the early 2020. And of all... Being realistic, like, I feel like they're going to keep making the competition harder and harder for me. And I kind of feel like I'm a, I'm a lot more ready than people realize. So. And I guess as I showed them that, it's going to happen. And of, of all the champions, is Josh the guy that, you know, you 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 want to fight most out the rest of them? I mean, I'd imagine that the Oscar Valdez fight would probably be a pretty easy fight to make. What makes you, you know, <laughs> sway towards Josh? <laughs> Actually, I'll fight any of them. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care which one of them it is. I, I wouldn't mind fighting Leo Santa Cruz or Oscar Valdez or Gary Russell, to be honest with you. It's just, that was just the guy that I seen that I wanted that I, that I felt that I was getting the ring with. Like I, that I want to get in the ring with first, to be honest with you. But either or, if they say, oh, we gotta, we'll let you fight Oscar Valdez 
I do have to say, I think the Josh Warrington fight, if you were to come over to the UK and fight Josh Warrington, if you beat him, then your stock rises considerably. I think it does more for you globally in terms of fans, yeah. you know, than any other win. Yeah. And, you know, I think that... Yeah, I agree with that. You got a, he got, he got a whole country behind him that, that support and the UK fans really support, so yeah. I feel like that would be you. I feel like you're right about that. Okay, and just before we let you go, Shakur, we've kind of gone through all the questions pretty quickly. Have you got any final messages just for anyone that may be listening? You may have a final message for Josh Warrington. You may have a final message for your, for your, for your fans over here. Take it away. The floor's yours. Uh, just keep turning in. I'm going to keep turning up. I'm back April 20th under the Karen Scarver American card. And I'm going to put on the show as always. And Josh Warrington, I'm coming for you. Okay, fantastic stuff. The UK fans, like I say, would love to see you fly over here one day, Shakur, should it happen. Um, but listen, it's, it's always my pleasure speaking with you. You know that. Best of luck with what's next for you. April 20th, we'll be tuning in to that one for sure. And we'll certainly catch up sometime soon, my friend. Thank you for that. Okay, and this wraps up episode 171 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. I want to apologize massively for the poor audio during most of this week's show. It's honestly been the hardest week ever. Everything imaginable has gone wrong with the recordings, the interviews, the software, the connections, everything. So I'm honestly super duper sorry about all of that. One piece of news has broken since we've been recording the show. Dave Allen will fight Lucas Brown in April, no date yet confirmed, but everyone is, you know, is guessing that it's going to be the AJ undercard. Should that fight even go ahead, it's still very unclear. I'd like to give a massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show: the Olympic silver medalist and undefeated world contender Shakur Stevenson, and the new IBF super middleweight world champion Caleb Plant. The biggest thanks, as always, though, goes out to you, the listeners. If you've listened all the way to the very end, then please tweet us simply using the hashtag completed it mate and we will give away one t-shirt to the lucky winner once again for your chance to win a box hard podcast t-shirt tweet us or write on our instagram with the hashtag completed it mate but that's about it from myself and i as please be sure to check out next week's show enjoy your weekends people and take care